Morning, church. Good morning, Jack. Uh, good week. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Good. <laughs> right. Um, so, uh, yeah, who's got their who's got their Christmas decorations up already? Yeah, you should do. It's only like a week. So, uh, yeah, yeah, we put our tree up like just before, just before December. So I don't know if that's a sin or not. I'm not sure. But, um, but yeah, we, we did like a couple of days before, so I don't know. But, um, but my kids, especially Micah, Micah's never seen the tree before. I mean, last year he was, he was just in our arms like that, so I don't know if he was seeing much anyway. But, um, but yeah, uh, he, he's really taken to our Christmas tree. And, uh, he, you know, uh, Talia's, Talia's okay. She kind of puts, like, little balls on and stuff like that. But Micah takes them off and throws them around. And, and then he has this one habit where he, he just kind of goes up to the tree turns his back on it and falls into it and then just kind of does this sort of snow angel sort of thing. And then he kind of comes away from it. You've got this big impression of my son in the tree. And it's one of those plastic trees. They all bend and everything, you know, and then I have to sort them away. I've given up. My tree just looks like a state at the moment. It's just a mess. I just can't be bothered. <laughs> I just can't be bothered. He keeps doing it. So, uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So did you know, though, an interesting thing about Christmas trees? There's one. There's one. Um... They're not actually a pagan idea like they're commonly thought to be. Um, they're actually a Christian one. And uh, see, pagans would bring clippings and all of that, uh, you know, holly or whatever, just decorate it around, and that was to ward off evil spirits throughout the winter solstice and all of that. But, like, um, but the actual idea of a Christmas tree came in kind of medieval Renaissance times, and it, uh, in Germany, more or less. And um, they, they, they basically put on these plays for people who were illiterate, right? So, so uh, uh, just about Bible stories, any Bible story. So all year round, they just put on Bible story, Bible story, and just all these plays for the illiterate people. And, um, and near Christmas time, there was this, this feast of Adam and Eve. So near Christmas, they would put on a play about the Garden of Eden, about the beginning. And, um, and when the plays eventually died out and they got kicked out or whatever happened, the people missed them. And, uh, and, and they remember in, in, in the play they had this big decorated tree to represent the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. So what they started doing is they started cutting down some trees, which pagans don't like, and then putting them into their houses and decorating to remember the tree of life from the play they used to see around Christmas time. Uh, I thought that was really interesting, personally. But... Um, but yeah, and, and these trees actually became known as paradise trees before they're now known as Christmas trees. And so this time of year, obviously, we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, um, as you know. But um, the story of the Garden of Eden is just as important, and it should be remembered alongside our Saviour's birth. So let's go back. So I want to go back to the beginning with you guys today and just understand the meaning of what we actually put in our front room every year that my son wrecks. <laughs> So here we have Eden, okay? It's, uh, it's not the real Eden, it's a picture of Eden. And, uh, but uh, Eden is basically this perfect, awesome place. There is no death, there is no sickness, no decay. In fact, the whole world was like it, not just Eden. And uh, there, there wasn't any, even any idea or concept of sickness and death and all of that. It was just a life full of meaning and love and joy. And funnily enough, it was a life of business as well. See, we think our primary relationship with God is that of a father and a friend. And he is those things. Don't get me wrong. He is definitely those things. But the main relationship we see throughout the whole of Scripture is, is that of a partner, a business partner. 
See, he, he calls Adam and Eve partners when he makes them, after he creates them, and he, and he tells them to govern the world alongside him, to add new things to it and, and work with him to, to make it better and better. And, and this is the life to which we were called, a, a, a life of friendship and partnership with God, working with him, using the creative nature he gave us to, to just build and build and build. That, that's what we were made for. And, and, and we had access to eternal life, no death and um, peace with God. And, and we had this tree of life. And, and, and that's probably like the embodiment of all these things. Tree of life basically represents the fact that we live, we don't get sick, we're in relationship with God, we partner with him, we do business, and we enjoy it. Um, however, not long after the proposal, a creature in rebellion, and the Bible doesn't say much about it, funnily enough, but we just know there's this creature in rebellion against God. And he comes to Adam and Eve, and he lies to them. And they believe him. Now they believe that God is a liar and that he has another agenda. And so they wanted to take control and decide for themselves what's good, what's evil, what's right and wrong, what should be done, what shouldn't be done. They they wanted God's job. They no longer wanted to be his partner. They wanted to rule over him and, and do things on their own. And so they rebelled against him. All because of the lie. Now, before this, God had previously told them not to eat from a certain tree because it would kill them. But they believed that he had lied to them, so they thought this tree was actually something God was hiding from them that that would actually make them like God, so it would enable them to overthrow him and take over and dismiss him. They were really wrong. The second they ate the fruit, this stunning realisation came. They had made the biggest mistake ever. They were so wrong. Instead of becoming powerful, they became ashamed of themselves and hid, terrified of the consequences. But it was too late. Can't even, can't even see that. Oh, well. But it was too late. It was through this one act of rebellion that sin entered the world. And all of a sudden, they were now slaves to this snake and his power and to their own rebellion. And they would die for it. It says in the Bible, I, I don't have the thing up, but it says, Sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. It also says the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, which we gave to him. We are now cut off from life. We've lost this ability to eat from the tree of life in partnership and peace with God. Instead, we've made enemies, ourselves enemies of God and, and slaves to the devil and sin. Now, I've heard a lot of people dismiss the idea of God. and One reason is there's too much evil in the world. Anyone heard that one before? Yeah, It's a common one. And... I've asked people sometimes, I say, sometimes, <laughs> I say, all right, well, fair enough, but why does, why does that disprove God? Why does that disprove God to you? And they say something like, oh, because, because if he did exist, he'd get rid of it, there'd be no evil. Well, there's a problem with that. See, there's a problem with that whole thought and mentality. See, sin has entered the world but it's not just floating around, you know, bodiless, like in the air or anything. It's, it's attached to something. It's like vines. It's, you know, it's like chains. It has to attach itself to something. And it's attached to us. It says in the Bible we are sold under sin, that we are captive to sin, that it dwells in our members. It also says out of the human heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. All of these sinful things come out of our heart. Sin is now intrinsically linked to us. We cannot be separated. Well, I'll talk about that. But at the moment we cannot be separated. And so 
here's the thing. If God destroys sin like you ask him to, he must destroy us with it. Yes. Must. Since sin has also attached itself to the whole of creation as well, because everything has fallen, everything is under death and decay, he would have to destroy the universe and just start all over, if he even wanted to after the first time. And he could have done it. He could have just, he could have just killed them then and there and said, that's enough. But he didn't. He had another plan. That's why the Bible says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some would count slowness. But instead, he is patient towards you. Why? Because he doesn't wish that any of you should perish, but that you should all reach repentance. See, God had a better plan than your plan. Rather than destroy everything, which is what your plan would amount to, he instead planned to destroy sin and save humanity in the process. But this would take a miracle, mainly because of the condition Adam and Eve brought on themselves. It's it's not going to be an easy thing to sort out. But miracles are God's strong point, which is cool. (laughs) So he gives Adam and Eve this promise. He gives them a vision. Hopefully, oh, that's sin. There you go. He gives them this vision that one of her offspring would fight and destroy the snake and his reign of sin and death, freeing and saving mankind instead of destroying it, but that this son would also receive a venomous bite himself. That was kind of that was the vision. That was he actually said it to the snake, but he said it for the benefit of, of the two people there. And and this person became known throughout the whole of Jewish history as the Messiah, as the Christ, as the Son of Promise. Now, shortly after this, Eve gives birth to a son, and she rejoices with this promise fresh in mind. You, you can read it. It's like, yes, I've given birth to a son. But, however, this, this son kills another one of our own sons, and then he's exiled. And, and so he's not the one. He's not the one they're expecting. And, and so this, this hopelessness starts to emerge. And, and from there, mankind just gets worse and worse. That's, that's the story of the whole of the Old Testament. You just see this, just this constant spiral downwards. Uh, because of its captivity under the snake and under sin, because they're chained to it. So later on during this story, God God chooses a pagan worshipper called Abraham. He was called Abraham then, but he's called Abraham now. And and he promises him that the blessing to the world, the offspring, would come through him and his family. Um, I'm I'm not going to read it all out because there's a lot to get through, but if you have the notes, it's there in the notes. But um, So this blessing is then passed on to his son, and then his son's son, and then his son's son's son. And uh, one of them, anyway, there were 12 of them. And it was to a man called Judah. So, so, so he's, given, he's given Abraham this promise that, that he would bless the world through his family, and that the offspring would come through his family, indeed, that uh, this promised snake killer will be a king, and that everyone will follow him, and that there'll be like wine and milk and good things. They'll be, all be like Eden again. Okay? That's, that's the promise that he gives them. Again, um, the scripture's there, but I, I won't. I'll keep going. Um, the first king we get from Judah's line is King David. Okay? And there's, when David comes in, you see, there's this hope and this anticipation. Yeah? He just kills a giant, you know, and he's made king. And then and there's kind of this, this peace and this reign of goodness that he brings with him. And people are thinking, well, maybe, well, maybe he's this king. Maybe he's the one who's going to free us from sin and evil and, and destruction. But then he has this adulterous affair, and, and he covers it up with the murder of the husband. And by doing so, he, he proves he's not that king. He proves he's just as under sin as anyone else. 
But God forgives David, and he expands on his promise to him that the offspring would come through David's line, and he'll reign forever. He says to him, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, that's the offspring, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house in my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. But then king after king after the line of David, they're just losers, all of them. Every single one of them, they're either completely wicked and full of evil, or just people with good intentions caught in the chains of sin, just like David himself. Israel, again, just moves closer and closer towards hopelessness and evil due to the sin in their hearts until they're overthrown by another nation and and no kings are left. Yet there are prophets throughout these times which are speakers of God and and they keep affirming that he hasn't hasn't changed his mind. He will come, it will come. Even though there are no kings left, it will come. Despite your disobedience and lack of faith, he'll do it. Hundreds of years later, hundreds of years later, this young woman called Mary. She becomes supernaturally pregnant. And she calls... Oh, that's the destruction. I'm not keeping up with this. (laughs) Um, She becomes supernaturally pregnant. And she she calls this boy Jesus. And 30 years later, he emerges as a rabbi and a prophet. He does that for three years. And throughout this time, Jesus performed miracles healings, casting out demons. He's literally fighting Satan. He's doing the opposite of what Satan does. right? And he's delivering blow after blow, doing this damage to the snake's kingdom on earth. And he's establishing, instead, God's kingdom. And, 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 and there's this war being fought here. And he was fulfilling all the ancient promises made about him. Like, there, were, there were tons about him. And he was fulfilling them all, all about the Messiah. And, 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 and he was found also to be a descendant of this King David and a descendant of Judah and of Abraham. He, he, was, he was a descendant of them all. And the people caught on. And they started believing the promises about this king who would bring peace and victory and wine and milk. And, and their hopes were lifted to the breaking point when he entered Jerusalem. You know, they, they, were, they were sure that this would be the climax of his eternal reign over the world. It was coming and Eden was about to be reborn. And he's going to overthrow the Romans on the world. And they're all going to live in peace and milk and honey. And it's going to be great. And that's what they're, they're like, yes, it's finally happening. It's finally happening. But instead, the moment of the first vision of the Bible came true. The snake bite. See, the devil entered Judas, and he had, just as he'd entered this snake, and he deceived and plotted with the evil leaders, and they had Jesus' life handed over. And Jesus the next day was condemned, even though he had done nothing wrong, and he was killed in full public display, stripped of all dignity, hung on a cross, which was a death for the most wicked people on earth. And all hope was gone. It, it was just gone. After, after hundreds of years, they finally gained this last shred of hope, and here it was, just dashed to pieces. It seemed like Satan's greatest victory. The person they thought who was the Messiah and they'd put their hopes in was now dead. And so to them, the promise lay still unfulfilled, and it just, just giving up hope here. Then came a turnaround. Jesus rose back up from the dead, and in doing so, he crushed Satan's head. The final snake bite that Satan delivered 
was actually his defeat and not his victory. How rubbish he must have felt after realising he had made his own end. God's wise strategy went way over the devil's head and way over everyone's head. He never anticipated the death of Jesus. And no one anticipated the death of Jesus was to die for the death of all humanity, freeing them from the bondage to sin and therefore the devil's reign completely. He raised to life three days later with over 513 people as witnesses. His resurrection was the triumph of his victory over sin, death and the devil who had previously brought them all all the sin and all that in with his evil reign on earth. It was Jesus. He is the Christ. He is the snake killer. He is our hero. And the most amazing revelation happens straight afterwards. This whole time, it wasn't just a normal human being who was this Christ who, 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 who rescued us. It was God himself. Yes. See, in order to save us, God needed someone perfect to live a life free from sin, to live up to God's perfect standard, someone who would refuse to rebel and instead partner with God in obedience, whatever, whatever the cost. And see, man can't do this because we're already slaves to sin and the devil and we're locked in a state of permanent rebellion. So it's just impossible to partner with, with a God when, when, you, when you always rebel. Okay? But he also needed someone to pay for the damage already done and the treason already committed. As it stands, humankind, all of us, don't have enough to pay for this damage. It would take an eternity of imprisonment and even then it won't be enough to pay for the debt of our crimes of treason against an eternal good God. He needed someone wealthy enough to pay it off. And the only person qualified for any of these two things was God himself. See, it needed to be God because only he can pay off an everlasting debt because he is eternal and everlasting. And only he is perfect enough enough not to rebel against himself. However, it still needed to be a man, a human, because it was man who sinned and rebelled. Therefore, it's man who needs to pay the price, not God. And it's man who needs to be obedient to God, no one else. See, man needs to prove their worth to God in order to become a partner again. And so God rectified this big problem by sending a part of himself, his son, to become human. Now, there are multiple reasons and explanations and everything to this. I'm only going to pick on three reasons today. And I'm going to quickly go over them as quick as possible. Much of us get there. We go. So the first reason he came, as God, as man, was to live for us. Jesus was conceived in Mary by the Holy Spirit, making him both human and God. He was declared holy, which means basically that he was born morally sinless, which makes him just in the same state that Adam was when he was created. See, Adam was morally sinless when he was created, and Jesus, when he was born, is morally sinless. The difference is that Adam. <coughs> disobeyed God, losing to the serpent, therefore, gaining death for us, and sin. Thanks, Adam. Jesus, on the other hand, came, and he obeyed, beating the serpent, gaining life and righteousness for us. He did the complete opposite of what Adam did. Both morally, both morally sinless, one fell, the other rose. Yes. If, 
He lived the perfect life for us. He obeyed every single one of God's laws, a feat that no man could ever accomplish. He, provide, he proved himself worthy to be our rescuer. He partnered with God and pleased him every moment of his spotless life. If he had sinned, he would fall into the same trap as Adam, but praise God, he didn't, because he is God. So him living a sinless life is not just a victory for him, it's a victory for us. Yes. See, see, why is that? Well, because because he exchanges his life for us. It's an exchange. See, it's kind of like, it's like you take a test at school, right? No one likes tests at school. I hate every single one of them. And you're taking this test at school, and you're getting all the answers wrong, like I remember. And, you know, and, and then someone, this is not what happened, I wish it did, someone who got all the answers right just swaps your test scores over. Why did that not happen? <laughs> anyway, but yeah, yeah, someone swaps those test scores over. So, so suddenly you've got this paper that has 100% on it, and, and this, this other guy's got your rubbish catty paper with all the wrong answers, right? And, so, and, and, then, and then the examiner takes them in, and you get the credit for that score. Your name's on it. You know, you get the credit for that score, but the other person gets the bad penalty for, for their rubbish score. That's what it is, and it's an exchange. It says, for our sake, he made him... To, to, he Basically, I'm going to reiterate this verse as best as possible. He took our sin and gave us his righteousness so we could become the righteousness of God and he could suffer for our sins. By one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. He gave us his righteous life and takes our sin and rebelliousness. We get the good grade for his perfect score, and he gets the punishment for our terrible score. See, we end up not just forgiven, church, but because that would just put us back in the same position as Adam and Eve. We'd be sinless again, but we'll be able to rebel and fall back, which we most likely would, and fall back into slavery. See, God didn't want us to fall back into slavery after he saved us. What's the point? Instead, we don't just end up forgiven. We end up also in good standing with God because of his perfect score. We inherit his righteous life that we could never have lived ourselves, and God sees it, and he accepts it. And he partners with us. We rely on the perfect life of Christ. We are graded on his perfect score. It doesn't get any better than that, I promise you. And those who trust his faultless life gain heaven because it's now their life. It's transferred to them. So that's... Oh, I always forget this thing exists. <laughs> the second reason is he came to die for us. It says... Here we go. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as a slave to the fear of dying. Scripture says it all. The scripture just says it all. It was man, it was man who sinned, and so man needed to pay for it. I'll remind you of that again. And so he became a man, and after proving his worth, he sacrificed himself. Yeah. See, in the Old Testament, God gives, I'll quickly say, that he gives this people this practice of sacrifice, right? And, and the point of it is to show that uh, their sins could actually be transferred to, to a faultless animal, which could pay the price instead of them. Uh, this is only a temporary measure, by the way, and it didn't actually take away any sin. It was just, it was just to form a concept for them, what God would actually later do, uh, not by an animal, but by his son. See, at his death, all of our sins were transferred to him well, as when we took his, his righteous life. And he, being human, paid the full price on our behalf. 
That's why his humanity is so important, church. Uh, if he had come as a, as a duck or a sheep, it just wouldn't have worked, right? He needed to be made in the form of a man so that he could properly represent us, dying for us. And being the eternal God, he didn't spend eternity paying the price, but he paid it in one go. Done. He says he cancelled the records of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. You're free, church. You are free. You are forgiven. You've been made righteous by his giving his perfect life to to you. And, and, And his victory, our victory, is fought and won by Jesus, the Son of God. It's done. Okay? So he's, he's, come, he's, he's lived for us. He's died for us. And, and, and then he does, he does something else as well. He does something else. He didn't just come for those two things. He also came to sympathize for us. This is interesting. It says, for we do not have a high priest, that's Jesus, by the way, um, who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, but without sin. See, throughout Jesus' life, he claimed to be both the Son of Man and the Son of God through what he said and how he lived. Um, he was truly God, I promise you. He was truly God, right? He forgave sins. He brought healing and life. He was in command of creation by stopping storms, drying up trees. He, he knew people's hearts. He knew the depths of their hearts and their thoughts. He could see everything while remaining in one place. These are things only God can do. And, and the evil leaders of the day caught on. They, they caught on and they accused him multiple times of blaspheming and calling himself God. And it was actually on that note that they crucified him in the end. He spoke of his everlasting life and his power over his own death, that he could come back to life if he wanted to. And, and he spoke of his eternal reign over all things. He, worship, he, he received worship explicitly, even though it says we're not to worship anyone but God himself. Jesus took it. He was the Messiah. And more than that, he was God the Son. We need to come to this conclusion as well. He's not just fully God. He is fully man. There was a, there was a heresy back in the old time that it was just God that did things. And, and he, this, this, this person was a spirit. He, didn't really, he wasn't really a human. He was. He was truly a man. The people he grew up around thought him as a normal guy. They, they were surprised when they discovered that he's the one the whole of Israel were talking about possibly being the Messiah. They were like, what? You're kidding. This guy's just so normal. We know him. We know him and his family. Even his own family rebuked him. What are you doing? Just come come back here. You know? But Jesus knows what it's like to be human. And and this is important because whoever you are, whatever you're going through, he's been there and he understands you completely. See, children, those those who are in, you know, he he was a child. He was a child from a baby. You know, he wasn't just suddenly 30. He He lived the whole of his life. He was a child at one point. He, he had to listen to his parents, his, his human parents. And he, and he had lots of brothers and sisters, and he had to learn to get on with them. You know, he had to. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but it's true. And, and, and you know, he had, he had some sort of education and schooling as well, because he was able to read and write. You don't learn to read and write. Just, he didn't just, like, magically read and write. He, he had to learn to do it. So he had some sort of schooling. So he, so he understands all these things. He understands school and parents and brothers and sisters. He understands you. He was a young single man. So people who struggle with their singleness, he understands you. You know, he worked a job. Guys, you know, who loves their job? I mean, some do. I, I, I never used to, you know, <laughs> be honest. <laughs> I hated my job. You know, he worked a job. He understands. He, was, he, was, you know, he took his human father's role as a builder. He's, he wasn't just a carpenter. He worked in stone and masonry. You know, he had a hard job. 
So he understands you. And we find later that Joseph, his human father, isn't mentioned after Jesus was about 12. We, we infer from this that Joseph died at some point in his, in his early life. So Jesus knows the hardship of losing a father at an early age. But he knows the hardship of losing anyone really close to him. And as the eldest son, after Joseph's death, it would have been his responsibility in that time and culture to be dad. He had to be the breadwinner. He had to be the main worker for his family. So he he knows what it's like to support a family, a big family, being the, the only person responsible for all of this, having mouths to feed in a position of responsibility. He, he understands that. Yes. You know, and he did all this before he even went into ministry. This is 30 years of his life. And throughout his actual ministry, we, we see him struggling with tiredness and temptations to sin and hunger and thirst and poverty, homelessness, persecution, depression, fear, you name it, he's been through it. Wherever you're at, he's been there. He knows you. He understands you. Some people might say, well, you know, well, what about marriage? He was never married. And, and, and what about birth? He obviously never gave birth. And what about raising children? He obviously never raised children. He doesn't know those things. Well, you know what? He certainly flipping does. He does understand those things. More, more than we ever would, he experiences them as God himself. He gave birth to the whole of creation, which rejected him. He raised his disobedient, rebellious children. He, he chose one family out of it and kind of married himself to them. And, and they constantly disobeyed him, committing adultery to him, running off into the hands of other gods who don't even exist. He knows the pains of being the victim of adultery and divorce because he's God. He understands every single part of your life, whether it's as man or as God. There's more to this than just sympathizing. He doesn't just understand what you're going through. He doesn't just come, oh, there, that's right, we'll get through. You know, he, he, he doesn't just give you advice or tips how he dealt with it. Oh, this is what I did, and you can do it too. You know, he doesn't give you some sort of self-help guide. He gives you his resurrection from the dead. See, he didn't just only live for us and die for us, but he was raised, to the dead, raised from the dead for us, and he ascended into heaven for us. It's a nice bit of Christian jargon. I'll, I'll, I'll explain it. So basically, it took the incredible power of might of God's Holy Spirit to raise Christ from the dead. Yes. Jesus, after being raised, met with his friends and told them that he would give them the same power, the Holy Spirit, to live inside of them. This is incredible. Okay, this, this just goes beyond thinking about because not only do we get the Holy Spirit living in us, if he lives in us, but we also get Jesus and God the Father because the Holy Spirit is God and Jesus is God and the Father is God and they're all one and not separate from the other. So if the Holy Spirit is in us, Jesus is in us and God the Father is also in us. And that's why the Bible says that Christ lives in you. And, and, and we, get, we get this the second we believe in him, the, the incredible power of God living inside us. He's the one who changes us and gives us a new life. He, you know, he's the one who encourages us and affirms that we'll be with him forever. He's the one who helps us in our hard time and helps us do what is right and reject what is wrong. We, we have the power of God himself in us to get through every situation life throws at us and to ensure that we can live a changed life that isn't in rebellion towards God, but one of complete peace and joy, even in the most horrendous circumstances. How great is his wisdom. For our salvation, he gives us, that he lives for us, he dies for us, and gives us the power to change as well and, and live different lives full of hope and love and joy. Praise God. Praise God. See, 
And he, and he gives us, so that we get victory in life through this. And the victory is not a perfect life of health and wealth, as some people preach. They're, they're wrong. It's a lie. Jesus promises that life is tough and only gets tougher, but it's victory he gives us through the hard times to maintain, go through them. Isn't it, isn't it rubbish when, you, when, you, when you're going through something, right, and, uh, and, and someone who's never been through it, kind of, you, you start talking to them and you tell them about it, and they, and they give you all this kind of, they don't really understand, so they give you all this kind of terrible advice. You know, oh, you know, this is what I would do and stuff, and some of it's helpful. Some of it's like, yeah, you really don't know what you're on about because you've not been in my situation. And, uh, you know, um, they give all this silly stuff, but, you know, that's not Jesus, that's not Jesus. He says, you know, I know exactly what you're going through. I've been there myself. Come back with me to my cross and to my life. I went through it and I got through it. I struggled, but I overcome. Come back with me to my cross. I was made alive again. Now I can live through you. You talk to me, to ask me, trust me. You will get through this together. So... What do we do? See, it all comes down to our response now. I've told you everything that's happened. And in the Old Testament, God constantly tells his people to listen to him. Yes. Okay? Now, listen, by the way, is, 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 is more than listening. It's more than listening. It's, the, the Hebrew word doesn't mean to hear, but it means to respond to what's being said. This is why Jesus constantly says about the crowds that, oh, they only listen with their ears. They don't really listen to me. Listening includes a response. I mean, he's a, Jesus' human brother, James, also tells us not just to hear the gospel, but to respond to it. In Acts, Peter tells the people uh, this same great news I've just shared, and, uh, and they were cut to the heart about it. They were, they were, they were devastated. And they responded, well, what do we do now? What do we do, what do, we do now? How can we attain this? What do, what do we do? You know, guys, maybe you're a, you're a, you're a, you're a visitor and you've, you've heard this for the first time today. Um, maybe you've been here a lot and still don't believe, but it's only now made an impact. Or maybe you've been a Christian for many years, but somehow you, you just don't see your life measuring up to how you know it should be. Uh, Peter answers these people. He says, okay, well, it's simple. Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent means to turn your back. You need to change. Okay? See, the the life of a Christian is one of change. Okay? When we profess Jesus to be our everything, we we become completely new. And the Holy Spirit changes our life. A changed life is evidence of God living in and through us. That's how we're supposed to be. It's, It's not about living by a bunch of rules. Okay, it's, it's allowing God to change our hearts and our minds and our attitudes and our actions. And so you need to make a decision, you know. You, know, you, you, don't, you don't go away, come back, brush up, clean yourself off, and then, and then come back when you're better. No, 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 you can, you can do this now, okay. But you, you need to make a decision. You need to decide whether you're going to turn your back on sin and rebellion and you need to decide to, 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 that the life you, that you know, you know you're just going to walk away from and instead swear allegiance to Jesus that's what baptism is about by the way it's, it's swearing allegiance to Jesus publicly see, this means being committed to live for him in, instead of whatever you were originally living for 
whether you were living for money and career and family, even yourself. And you know what? All these things we have to look after. We have to be good managers of our money. And, and we, we, you know, we, we, we've got to work jobs. We're not going to quit our jobs as much as some of us might want to. And you know, we have to look after our family. And you're gonna, you have to look after yourself. You don't come here you know, unshowered. Unkept, I hope not. You know, and you, know, um, you, know, you go to a doctor when you're ill. You have to look after these things. But you don't live for them anymore. You don't live for them anymore. You live for Jesus. And once you make that decision, once you tell Jesus that you're wrong and you actually need his life and his death and his resurrection, he frees you. He frees you then and there, promise, from your past rebellion against, you know, your past rebellion against God is forgiven and you're put in good standing with God as his partner and you receive the power to live a completely new life. You're no longer under Satan, you're under God. You're no longer in darkness, you're in light. You're no longer slaves, but you're free. You no longer stand condemned, but you're forgiven. You're no longer alone, but Christ lives in you. Yes. And some of you might say, I already believe that, Jack. I don't see any change. My question is, do you believe it? See, believing is more than just acknowledging that these things happened. It really is. You know, there are, there, are, there are demons and Satan. They, they, they all acknowledge these things happen. So Satan even more so, even though he might not want to. You know, he, he acknowledges these things are true. But they're not going to heaven. Promise. <laughs> it's not about some intellectual ascent. It's about responding with your very life. See, we're, we're, we're now free to obey God and be in partnership with him. And that's what we should do. Our lives are not supposed to be indistinguishable from our secular friends and family, but radically different. If you're a self-proclaimed Christian but not living a changed life, then something is very, very wrong. And I'm not going to hurl curses at you and hurl hell on you and all of that, but you just, you just need to come to the cross again. Okay, you need to come to the cross. I'll give you two examples. Paul. Everyone, uh, people know the Apostle Paul? Yeah, 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 okay. Right, this guy was a man driven by hate, Right? He was, he was a Jewish person. He lived his whole life obeying the law. He saw himself as perfect. He saw himself as righteous. He even says as a Christian, you know what? I was faultless before the law. I was absolutely faultless. I did everything I needed to. And I hate Gentiles. And I hate those Christians who are spreading this rubbish. And they need to die, every single one of them. He did it. He went around. He voted against them. He killed them. He imprisoned them. He was driven by this hatred. When he encountered Jesus, the Spirit entered him, and it changed him completely. You see, this one instance of him, you know, totally lost and full of hate, and, and then the next minute he's controlled by love. He goes to these Gentiles who he hated. This is like, you know, this, this is intense separation. I, I, I don't mean to sound out of order, but it's kind of like, you know, let's go back in time with the, the whites and the blacks. It's like you don't talk to one another back then. You know, it's just like, I don't, can't be around you. It's like that. It's, it's, it's racism to the extreme. It's like, I'm not having anything to do with that person. He went to them after that. He loved them. He, he couldn't see any reason not to hate them after this change that Jesus had made in him. Good for him. And, and, and he, and he, you know, and not just that, but he was persecuted by the people he followed before. You know, he was he was beat to death, like quite a few times, like inches of his life. And uh, he loved them. He, he said, I, I, "He said I'd rather go to hell so all of those guys can go to heaven." Goodness, that doesn't come from someone controlled by hate. It's a changed man. Disciples are the second example. After Jesus' death and resurrection, <laughs> even after his resurrection, which I find strange, they were cowards. They hid in a room. 
They hid in a small room and they were just scared of the whole world. Didn't want to preach. Scared of persecution. Scared of things that happened. You can see this in Peter before, when, before Jesus was crucified. And they're like, oh, are you friends with this Jesus? No, no. I don't know him. I don't know him. Don't kill me. I don't know him. You know, you see the cowards. The cowards. But then the Spirit enters them. They gain the Holy Spirit. And then all of a sudden they burst out the doors and they're like, and Peter's straight away preaching. And, and these people are like, oh my goodness. You know, and, and all these people come to, you know, they, they, persecution doesn't even bother them. They don't care if they're beaten. The second they're beaten, the first instance that they're beaten for, for proclaiming their faith, they jump up and down for joy. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't make sense, does it? But, but that's, that's the change of the Holy Spirit. And brothers and sisters, we, we must change. You see, us, I see it all the time. I've, I've been watching, personally, I've been, I've been watching these, these videos about people in, in, in the East and, and Muslims coming to God and, 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 and just the way the Asia works and, and the Christians in Asia and the Christians in Africa. I'm like, you know, I'm blown away. I'm absolutely blown away by how they live as Christians. And I look at the West and I think, where is it? Where is it? Do, do we have Christians in the West? I don't know. We, we do, but us Christian Christians are, are hungry for change. You know what? They laugh at us in Asia and in Africa. They, they laugh at what Christianity is over here because they're like, we couldn't live like that. We, we lose everything when we give our lives to Jesus. We lose our homes and our families. People try and kill us. Um, uh, we, we, we're expelled. We're, we're, we're outcasts. We're hated. We couldn't just pretend to be Christians. We can't just, you know, say we're Christians and then live a different, you know, live a life that's similar to everything else. We lose everything. What's the point? And they pity us and they pray for us because they think that because they think that must be so hard living in the West. And you know what? I'm finding more and more every day that that is true. I'm finding it so tough to be a Christian in this country. I'm finding it so tough. I would I would rather go and be persecuted. I I I would rather do that. Sounds like such a better life. But you see, that life does exist. Christians live, you know, in other parts, and they they are living it. And we can too. Western Christianity can change around. We can be different. We can set ourselves apart. We need need to surrender every part of our lives and live only for Christ. Mm. And what's the point in asking him to change us and then deliberately living contrary to what we just asked? Paul's on trial He's always on trial. He's on trial at one point. And he says, uh, he's asked this question about Christianity. And he says, you know, they they should repent and turn to God and perform deeds keeping with their repentance. So the decision they made, they have to work with. They can't just ask for it and then go, yeah, that's cool. I'll see you later. You know, they they have to, okay, I've asked for this. So let's let's try my best anyway to follow it. And God will empower me to do it. See, we, we, we need to read his word for those who have rejected his word. You know, we need to talk to him constantly in prayer. We need to meet up with each other, you know, you know not just weekly, daily if we can, you know. Go see someone, go see how someone is doing, you know, who's a Christian. And we, and we need to be courageous and we need to share this hope. This seems to be the major killer in this world, yeah. but we're scared to share what we have. And it doesn't make sense because we're not even being killed for it, you know. And, and, but we're, we're scared. And, 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 and that's why a lot of us experience this I don't feel like I'm in touch with God at the moment. Yeah, because we're disobeying him. You know, I'm guilty of it all the time. You know, I, I always read over it. You know, you get to the armor in Ephesians that says, oh, the, the feet, the readiness to spread the gospel. I'm like, yeah, next. You know, I, I just like, you know, I freeze up when people ask me about Jesus. And, you know, if they do, you know, I'm, I'm terrified. 
And I think, why? You know, we need to do those things. Read, pray, uh, meet up together, share the word of God. These are the works of the gospel. They're not an, they're not an end to themselves. They're, they're not a means to save us. So don't, don't get me wrong there. They don't, they don't save us. Jesus saves us. But they're the methods to get us back to the cross where we find life and change again and again and again and again. That's right. See, you know, the, the cross... The cross isn't just the way to become a Christian church. It's, it's the power of the Christian life altogether. If we don't keep coming back to the cross, we're going to lose it. You know, we're going to lose our minds and wonder what on earth is going on in my life. We need to come back to the cross because it's there in his life and his death and his resurrection that we find forgiveness, life and power. We need to do it every day. So I want to say, church, you know, this new year, let's encourage one another to change. But really, I, I need encouragement. You know what, I had a horrible week, I promise you. But I need encouragement. Right? And you need encouragement. Okay, so let's do it. You know, let's, let's meet together. Let's not just talk about, I mean, yeah, it's great talking about the week. I like talking about the week. But, you know, let's, 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 all, let's be real with each other and love one another. Let's, let's approach one another and say, you know, instead of saying, how's it going, Bob? You know, rather than just say, you know, how is it going? You know? Uh, are you struggling? Can I pray for you? Can I do anything for you? Can I give you anything? Uh, you know, I've, I've got some spare money. Can, can I give you? Will that help you? Do you need that? No? Yeah? I don't know. Is, is your wife annoying you lately? You can come sleep around my house, you know? It's fine, <laughs> you know? It's, you know? <laughs> I'm not trying to cause any divisions, promise. <laughs> It's all right, you you don't mind the city. (laughs) We need to be real. We need to be real. And we we need to stop freezing up when we ask each other, How are you today? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. A blessed week, praise the Lord. We need to be real and go, You know what? I'm actually, you know, Debbie asked me a couple of weeks ago, How are you doing? And I was like, Yeah, I'm fine. And then I kind of called or texted her like, later and said, you know what, I lied to you. I'm really sorry because I'm not fine. I'm struggling today. And we need to do that. We need, we need to be real with each other. And if, if we lie to each other in that way, we need to reconfront it and go, you know what, hey, you know what, no, I did lie to you. I'm, I'm really sorry. I'm just struggling so much I don't even want to admit it. You know, we need to be real and we need to carry each other's burdens. We need to love each other. And we need to get rid of petty squabbles in our church as well. You know, we need to do that. You know, people, again, I've read the lives of people in Asia now. They don't do that. If someone has a problem, they sort it out immediately because they need each other. You know? We need to do that as well. We just need to forgive it and let it go. And, 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 and I'm not even reading my notes anymore. And, you know, um, Paul says you know, to the Corinthians who are messing up and doing this and against each other, he says, well, why are you bringing in lawsuits and stuff? Why, why, don't, why don't you just accept the damage done to you? Why don't you just accept that it's a loss and you've just been taken advantage of and just move on? Why are you even trying to get revenge? What's the point? Why do you want recompense? Why do you want, why do you want payment? Why? I, I do this all day long. Everyone always takes advantage of me. I don't do anything. Not to big myself up, but to give you guys an example. That's what Paul is like. We need to do that. We need, we need to be so tight. So I really want that. I really want that to be like a... I know we all like New Year's resolutions, but I really want that to be a thing here. You know, I, yeah, I, I just want us to encourage each other and love one each other for real. Amen.
I want to see the West change. And so the Christians in the East can look and say, oh, let him know. You know, I, I want to see that. And so everyone, guys, if, if this is the first time you've ever heard this, the, the, the mess, everything I've said, or, or if it's the 50th, you know, or 100th, or whatever, I, I, I want to invite you today, um, some point after, after everything, after the kids and all that, which I need to hurry up on, please come to the front and declare to someone that you've actually made this decision, if you have. You know, and, and if anyone wants to repent of whatever you're doing as well, talk to someone. You don't just have to come to the front either. You can talk one another. We can pray for each other. That's how Christian life works. So please do that if you can't find anyone at the front. So here's the end. So Jesus lived, he died, and he was raised, and he ascended to heaven. He now sits in heaven as the Son of God and the Son of Man, ruling over all things until the end of the world. And the world today is not yet at peace, but that wasn't what his first coming was to establish. He instead, he didn't establish the end of all things, but he came to establish peace between God and man and those who did peace among each other, right? And he gave them freedom from sin and life partnering with God. And the partnership now is to share this incredible message of his heroic salvation from destruction. Share it with each other, share it with those who don't know it. He is patient, so the full number of his people will be free, so they will not perish when he does finally rid the world of all sin. And he will come next time to finish the job. He will kill the snake once and for all. He'll kill all sin and all it's still attached to. And he will be our king. And we will actually enjoy living with him and being with him. And he will provide uh, wine and milk and you can replace those things. When it says honey, I like replacing it with chocolate. It just sounds more appealing to me. And he gives you all good things, right? And he will reestablish Eden, a perfect, awesome place with no death, sickness, decay, and not even any idea or concept of those things anymore. Just a life full of meaning, of love, of joy, and of business. And we will eat from the tree of life once again. Amen. Does you want to come and pray? Or do you want me to pray? Or? You want me to pray? Okay. <laughs> All right. Father God, Jesus, you're so, so, so good. Thank you so much. Thank you so much that you saved us. Thank you so much for your blessing. Thank you so much just for helping me this week. Thank you so much for helping all of us. Thank you so much that you died for us, that you lived for us, that you rose from the dead for us. Thank you that we have this perfect life and it has, we can't be separated from you if, if we've given our lives to you. I thank you. I, I pray just to help us remember our salvation. Remember that we don't have to live in guilt and fear anymore, but we have life in you. Thank you so much, so much. Bless you, God. Thank you. Thank you for giving us a power to live a life. And I just pray that, just, just as I've, I said, like the Christians in the East, I pray that same power infects us in this church today. Yes, infects us in the church in England and the church in Britain and the church in all of the West, in the Americas and, the, and, 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 and Australia. Just, the West just needs saving. Help us, Lord. Please help us. Be with us. Make us one as you are one, as we are one with you. Bless you, God. You are such a good God. And I just pray for those who have heard this as well for the first time. And just, I just pray you just impact their hearts and just you drive them, Holy Spirit. I thank you that you drive us and you, you change us. I thank you so much. You are such a gracious God. Thank you. I pray for those people and their salvation. I pray for the salvation of all of us continually every day. Bless you, Lord. Bless you. Bless us. Help us. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Amen.